Good morning, church. Thanks for being here and bringing yourselves into this place and gathering the body together. Um, my name's Pastor Brian. If you are new here, a special welcome to you. Thanks for coming. Um, just a couple things I want to put on your uh, radar that are going on here that just to make you aware of. Uh, first thing is this, that uh, next Sunday at the 1040 service, we've got a, a gathering of those that are passionate about or, and or interested in foster and adoption. So if that's you, we'd love for you to come uh, hang out with the group that's meeting at 1040 next week. Also, um, middle school meetup, if you've got a sixth grader who's uh, moving from elementary into middle school uh, tomorrow night at the Eames' house, we're having a little get-together with those families. If that's you, we'd love to have you show up um, there, and we've got information at the back table for you, if that's you. Also, last thing is this, October 8th, we're going to be doing uh, baptisms here, so if you have never been baptized, but you are a uh, follower of Jesus, we'd love to talk to you about it, because October 8th may be the time for you to do that. So, all good things that are coming up. So, everybody doing okay this morning? We doing good? Yeah. Um, I'm doing well, too. Thanks for asking. I'm doing good. Uh, we are going to do some art this morning, and I've, uh, I got a, a different kind of marker. This is like a paint marker, and it's exploding all over my hands. So, this is going to be fun. We're going we're to see what happens up here, but it's already getting, it's already getting active. So, um, we're beginning a new series this morning, and it's based on like what our church mission statement is. It's finding our place in the story of God, which sounds absolutely vague, doesn't it? Like, what's that? What's that all about? Well, for the next five weeks, we're going to dig into that and uh, help us see that it's not vague at all. It's actually uh, what we think is a pretty powerful rallying cry, one for our individual lives, but two for us as a church. And so... Um, we're going to look at it from several different angles, and uh, hopefully by the end of the five weeks, we will know uh, what the power in finding our place in the story of God is and what it means for us. So uh, to launch in this morning, um, I want to draw your attention to uh, the fact that every story that was ever written has an author. You know, you go to the library and you look at a book, and like right under the title of the book at some place in the bottom is the name of the author, Right? Um, but have you ever noticed that not every story that you read is authored by one person? Sometimes um, you will have a, what, we, what you call a co-authored story, which is really interesting, right? I've never written a book before. I have written stories only when teachers made me in school. But as a, as a singular author of a story, I know from my limited experience that you have complete control of where the story goes what characters you want to develop, where the plot line's going to go, where the setting takes place. You don't have to consult anyone else when you are a singular author. But I think if you were to co-author a book with someone else, I don't know, I've never done it, but I think that would be a very interesting endeavor to engage in. Because here's what you'd have to do. You'd have to take all of your vision and your ideas and all of your creativity for the story. And then there would be someone else with a vision for the story. And they've got creativity and they've got ideas. And you would have to work to mesh those two things together so that you would get one singular story that makes sense and is good. 
and there would be some give and there would be some take and there would be some merging. There would be like having, there would have to be a coming together of the two different authors to make that story work. And I would just imagine that that would be an interesting and sometimes even maybe complicated process to go through. Now, um, regarding a co-authored story, uh, here's why I'm talking about that out of the gate this morning. Did you know that your life is a story? Every single day when you wake up, you are writing something with everything that you do. But you are not a singular author. Every day you wake up, every day I wake up, we are co-writing a story. Who are you co-writing your story with? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Who you're co-writing your story with actually makes a massive difference in the outcome of what your life turns into. And for the sake of where we are this week and probably for the next four, when I say your life or your story, those are synonymous with each other. Who you write your story with makes a huge difference. Let me give you an example. Let's say, uh, let's say we were able to do this, and we wouldn't because he is uh, now deceased. But let's say that we could take you and say, you are going to write a story with C.S. Lewis. Okay? I'm pretty excited about that prospect. You know why? Because I like you. I think you're creative. I think you're cool. I, I like you. And I like C.S. Lewis. Right? I never knew him, but I like him as an author. And so I would be very intrigued if you were to co-author a story with C.S. Lewis, and let's say you work on that thing for 18 months, and it comes together, and the book comes out, I'm going to read it, because I'm excited to see what you guys came up with. I'm all about that story. But on the other hand, if you decided to co-author a story with Dr. Seuss, here's what I can tell you. I would not like your story with Ham. I would not like your story with jam. I would not read your story, Sam I am. Because I don't like Dr. Seuss. I like you. I really like you. But if you're going to partner with Dr. Seuss and you're going to come up with something, I'm just, this is just for me and for my house, I'm going to avoid that book because I'm not, I'm not a big fan of who you have decided to partner and write a story with. So do you see how? And I'm not trying to pick fights here this morning. If you like Dr. Seuss, that's fine. We can agree to disagree. My point here that I want us to understand is, right, when we choose a co-author to write a story, depending upon who we write it with, it makes a substantial difference in what the story is that we actually get. Now, this morning, uh, you can turn in your Bibles, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, right? Here's what I want us to see, and this is a magnificent invitation. God himself, right, the Magnificent One, has given each and every one of us a gracious invitation that he would love to come alongside of us and co-author our story with him. There's no better writer in all of existence, right? There's no, there's no one who is more magnificent or powerful or creative. Or he, he knows how to write a good story. And his invitation is, Come write your story with me. Don't do it on your own. There's lots of other voices out there that you could write it with. Write it with me. That's the invitation that he gives us. Now, what I want us to see this morning is if we were to choose to co-author, to submit ourselves 
and say, yes, God, I want to co-author my story with you. What I want us to see in Genesis 1 and 2 is what are some elements of stories that God loves to bring to the table, right? I know what Dr. Seuss brings to the table. I've read some of his books. I know what he brings. I know what he's passionate about, the whole rhyming thing, right? I know what C.S. Lewis is passionate about. I've read his books. If we're going to get an invitation to co-author a story with God, we need to see what he brings to the table because what he wants to bring to the table is going to merge with us and it's going to take shape in terms of what kind of story actually then gets created. Okay? So God shows us what he wants to bring to the story. Every story he writes, he shows us uh, what we're going to call maybe some patterns that are central to every story that God writes. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, you can look Genesis chapter 1, looking for patterns of things that God loves in his stories. And we're going to break into this marker and see how messy it gets up here. Are you guys ready for that? Okay, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. All right, this is in the very beginning of the story that God is writing, and we're going to see from the very beginning the things that he loves to be central in everything that he writes, right, his stories. Here we go. Then God said... Let us make man in our image. And that means mankind. Ladies, don't feel left out here. It's gender, gender neutral. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image after our likeness. Hey, do you want to know what the first element of God's good stories are? What he loves to put in every single story? Here it is. You ready for this? It's you. He loves for you to be a central character in the stories that he writes. Because here's what I know about Genesis chapter 1. God makes, creates a lot of things, right? And they're all magnificent. I think elephants are awesome. I think giraffes are cool. I love dolphins. They're magnificent creatures. But they are not made in the image of God. Only you, okay? There's something chief prominent, preeminent about you in the created order that God said is special and magnificent in a way that nothing else is. And so when God writes a story here, you are central to it. Okay? So you are element number one in stories that God loves to write. Then in verse 28, right, regarding you, it says that, boy, I'm starting to get, it's getting ugly up here. You guys see me? Okay. It's, hmm. Now, Verse 28, and God blessed them, right? He's, he's towards the end of his creative work here. He hasn't blessed anything else in this way yet. He specifically blesses you, people, okay? Now, what that says, and you've you got to read into the narrative here. Um, what that means is, we've got ink squeaking everywhere, that in addition to you, right, you are special. You are special to him, so here's the next element in every story that God wants to write. He wants us to be in dynamic relationship with him. Every story he writes, all right, if he's going to be a co-author, there's you and there's him. Don't imagine any story that's just you and not him if he's going to be writing it. Because he's passionate about you and him. Now, let's continue in the First, right, the Genesis chapter 1 narrative. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them, right, looking for elements of story that God loves to write in every story that he's a part of. And let them, and that's you here, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock, over all the earth, 
and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. Yeah. Holy Toledo. Yeah. We're just getting started here. Thank you, Kemp. Um, Okay, so the next thing, right, in every story that God writes is this thing that we call creation. And spiritual people for thousands of years have loved to devalue the world, the physical world that we live in. God does not. Every story that he writes with us and him is going to involve us living in this magnificent place, doing magnificent things in this magnificent place, right? We were not created to be disembodied angels that play harps in the ethereal clouds of heaven. We were made to live in a rugged, tangible place and to have a real body and to do real things, okay? And the picture that God gives us here is that we, you and I, in the stories that he writes, we are royalty in the created world. We are princes and we are princesses. We are kings and we are queens. And it all depends on your age and how advanced you are. But our call is to be royalty in the created world and to do some pretty amazing things things, right? Um, and then, right, in addition to that, well, we'll talk about this. Uh, we'll get there in a second. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. Verse 28, let's continue. Elements of story that God loves to include. Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with all y'all. Fill up the earth with yourselves. Make more of you. Why? Well, because in the stories that God writes, He loves for us to be in relationship with each other. He made us not, again, not to live just without him, but he also made us not to live without other people. Like we are relational beings. It's one of the ways that we bear the image of God. In a unique and magnificent way, we were made for relationships. All kinds. Husband, wife, kids, grandkids, cousins, co-workers, pickleball team. Fantasy football mates, whatever, like in all sorts and all manner of ways. He made us to be in relationship with other people. And so if we're going to allow him to co-author a story with us, then you you better get ready for some people and for some relationships because that's what God wants to include in our stories. Now, regarding this, um, this is all from Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 is a big picture overview of creation. Then in Genesis chapter 2, what we do is we kind of... We kind of focus in and narrow in on humanity. We, we narrow in on you and we narrow in on me, right? And these are things that we're speaking about Adam and Eve here in the beginning, but they're, again, they're patterns in the kingdom of God that include us who come in their wake, in their lineage. Okay, now chapter 2, verse 15. Just wanted to make sure that we're on the same page here, that we're seeing these elements of story that God loves to write. Genesis 2.15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Okay, we have talked about this at length in the past. I don't have time to do it now. But when God says, he takes Adam, he puts him in the Garden of Eden, and he says, work it and keep it. Avad and Shamar, the two Hebrew words. What those are, right, literally means like work, serve the garden, and then Shamar, which is translated keep, literally means to protect it. Anytime in the Old Testament those two words go together, it's priestly language in a temple. 
The location is a temple, and it's priests doing the work of a priest in a temple, right? So this, this whole creation thing that we have here is more magnificent than we think it is. Here's the picture we get from Genesis 1 and 2. All of creation is a temple where God longs to dwell, and you and I are his priests and priestesses mediating between God and creation itself, meaning that whatever God would do in, every, in any corner of creation, we who bear his image, we would be the ones who do that. We are adorning his temple with everything that we do. We are serving in God's temple because this is the place he longs to dwell with us. Remember, he's not vacating us to heaven as our intended destination. His destination is, right, in Revelation, he comes here. The new Jerusalem comes from heaven to earth. It has always been his desire to dwell with us here. We are his priests and priestesses in creation, okay? So we see see it again. We are royalty and we are priests. Right? Genesis 2.15. Then skip ahead to verse 18. Right? We just hit creation again in chapter 2. Then the Lord God said, verse 18, It is not good that the man would be alone. I will make a partner fit for him. Okay? So Genesis 2, we got creation again. Now, reiteration, God says, Hey, do not be alone. You were made for other people to be mutually interdependent with them. God gifts us with deficiencies to drive us to relationship in need of people. He doesn't want a bunch of solo wilderness dwellers out there by themselves just kicking it on their own, right? So we see again in Genesis 2, he made us for relationships. Then, let's skip ahead to verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. There's relationship again. And they shall become one flesh. That's a deep relationship there. Verse 25. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Elements of story that God loves. You know what God loves? He loves a you that doesn't carry any shame or guilt on your shoulders. Naked and unashamed. This is more than just they didn't have clothes. They didn't have clothes, but it's more than that, right? God made you to be a fully revving, unadulterated, like full version of you that isn't gummed up or gunked up by any of the insecurities and deficiencies and shame and guilt and all the junk that we carry that limits us from being 100% us, okay? So in the elements of story that God loves to write, there is a full-on 100% functioning you, There is a deep and abiding relationship with him. There is relationship of mutual interdependence with other people. And then we are priests and rulers over creation. Okay? Now, I'll introduce a word to you. If you've been here for a while, this is not new to you. The word, if you're new here, the word I want to share with you is the Hebrew word shalom. Translated in our Old Testaments as peace. Here's what shalom means, literally. It is the right and harmonious interaction of all things that God has made for good. Meaning that shalom, we actually translate shalom here as flourishing. Peace or shalom means that you are fully you in relationship with God, in relationship with people, doing all the things that we were made to do, and it's all just gelling together. It's coming together like a well-baked cake, and bam, all these pieces pop together, and it is so very good. Old Testament says, that's shalom. 
Do you want to know what God wants to write in every story that he co-authors? This. Shalom. That's what he does. That's what he longs to bring in. My oldest daughter has, has been running with an analogy regarding this. Um, and, it, and it fits in Genesis chapter 2 as we talk about the Garden of Eden and creation as a temple and all of this, right? But the theme is, um, sorry, the, the idea that my daughter's been talking about is that life with God is like walking into an amusement park with him. And it's wide and it is vast and there is so much good to do. And we walk in the gate and God's like, what do you want to do? There's so much here. What do you want to do? You want, you want to go to the funnel cake tree? And, and maybe I could find some powdered sugar and sprinkle it on the funnel cake fruit. And we could, just, we could eat that. Do you want to do that? Or maybe we could do that later. Maybe do you want to go ride that? Oh, look at that ride. Oh, that looks so fun. Do you want to go do that? Right? This is what Garden of Eden is. It is a wide open amusement park of delights from food to fun to action and adventure to meaningful work and doing cool things. It's an amusement park. Adam and Eve, come on in. What do you want to do? Because we're doing it with him. We're not doing it without him. I love this picture, right? Life with God is an amusement park where we get to do things with him. And it's a co-authored, let's just assume we were to go to an amusement park with God for a day, you and him, that would be a co-authored story. He, we know what he wants to do, is he wants to do cool things, but you are uniquely and magnificently made, and so the two of you, you're going to write a different story than anyone else in here is going to write with God in that day in the, in the amusement park. Let me explain just tactically for a second. Let's say that there was God walking into a, a beautiful, fun amusement park. We'll call it the amusement of the, the Park of Eden. Okay? And, and God walks in with um, an individual who is a flaming extrovert who loves daring adventure. That's who this person is. And God walks into this amusement park. It's God and the flaming extrovert who loves daring adventure. Okay? They're going to have a day that's filled with a whole lot of people and all the scariest rides. That's what they're going to do. Their story, because it's the two of them coming together, is going to trend in that direction. Now, on the other hand, let's say God walks in, because God can walk into the park with a lot of people, and he loves to do it. Let's say he walks into the park with a super introverted science guy or girl. Just loves to understand and figure out how things work. Well... They're going to walk in and they're going to co-author a story that's going to look very different than the first person I described. They're probably going to walk around and this person's going to be asking questions of all the attendants like, hey, huh, what's the velocity of the people that are going over that hill right there? I'm curious because it looks like they're almost coming out of their seat, right? He's doing equations. I'm like, God, check my math here. Does that, does that make sense to you, right? It's a different day because it's a different person coming together with God. But it's going to have all the same elements. It's just going to look different because it's a co-authored story. And so God, right, is the, here's the invitation. God says, I would love for you, I'd love to write your story with you. I want to co-author that thing. Would you, would you let me? Would you let me do it? It'll be good, I promise. God says, would you, let, would you find your place in my story? Can we do this together? Right? Gracious and beautiful invitation that he gives. Now, let's move to Genesis chapter 3 briefly. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty 
Uh-oh, crafty's not a good word. If anybody describes you as crafty, watch out. That's not a good descriptor here. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, here's what we have. Um, We've got another author who has dropped into the scene who would love to co-author a story with Adam and Eve. And he loves to co-author stories with you too. It's the same thing. We got patterns of the kingdom here. And and what this other author, the serpent, does is he takes Adam and Eve, because we know that Adam is right there with her. He takes their eyes and he draws their attention to um, a particular ride that this author, the serpent, wants them to put their eyes on. And here's the ride that the serpent draws their attention to. It's it's the ride in the amusement park of Eden in chapter 2, verse 17. Here's what we learn about this ride. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Right, The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, to eat of that fruit, is like this in the amusement park. It's to get on the one ride that actually ends up at the end of the ride outside of the amusement park. That's what the serpent says. Let's, Adam and Eve, let's get on this ride. Well, I thought it maybe led us out of the park. Don't worry about that. It's actually a way better ride, and the outside of the park is way better than the inside says the father of lies, okay? But he draws their attention to this one singular ride that will ultimately, if you ride it, it will lead them out of the park. And out of all these things, I think we will see. So the serpent invites us in. Let's ride this. Verse 6. So when the woman saw that this ride was good, right? This tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired... To make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. She gets on and the shoulder harness goes over and the belt clicks. She eats. She also gave some to her husband who's sitting right next to her. His belt goes over his shoulders and he clicks into the ride. She gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And the ride begins. The serpent invites and now Adam and Eve are on his ride. They're co-authoring now. They're co-authoring a story with this alternative writer. And now we're going to see patterns here uh, as to what emerges in every story that we co-author with the serpent. Are you ready? And you better buckle up for this. Verse 7. Then the eyes of both Adam and Eve were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. For the first time, right? Patterns of what happens when we co-author with the enemy. Adam and Eve get wrecked. They were naked before, but now they realize it. Because it's not just about the fact that they recognize, oh, I didn't get dressed this morning. It's way deeper than that in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve, for the first time, because of what they have done, the dump truck of shame, has dumped, it's just backing up and it's just all falling Upon them, and they are carrying it with all of their capacity. They are shouldering the load. Guilt and shame is overwhelming them. Their hearts have now become gunked up. Insecurity, uh, all the things that we struggle with when it's just us in the room by ourselves. Adam, that's, that's where we're at. A personal 
breaking that continues to break. And I love this in verse 7 because this is so much what we do, right? This is a pattern of what we do. In their nakedness, what do they do? They go and they find some fig leaves and they sew them together to try to cover themselves up. Friends, I grow figs. I have them in my backyard. I could take you to see the plants right now. If I were forced to cover myself in front of y'all with fig leaves this morning, I would feel very insecure. It would be very awkward for all of us because fig leaves are not a sufficient covering for something, for something like this. But yeah, that's what we do. We just do all manner of things to try to cover our shame and our guilt from drugs, alcohol, sex, oh, money, you name it trying to make a name for ourselves in the eyes of people. Boy, we got fig leaves abounding all around us. And and that's elements of the story that come when we write with the serpent. Verse 8, right? We're not done yet. And when they, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife then hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Well, God loves to add himself as a central character in our story, but the enemy, when the enemy gets working, well, he loves to get rid of, loves to get rid of him. For the first time now, in the cool of the day, which I think would have been a repeatable pattern for Adam and Eve to walk with and enjoy him in the temple of Eden, now God shows up, they can hear him coming, and they say, no, we don't run to, we run away. We hide, because that's what we do. Well, when we write a story with the serpent, that's indeed what we do. We hide from him. Verse 12. Then the man said, right, God shows up and says, guys, what happened? What's going on here? Then the man said, the woman that you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. And what we see now is we've got a marital conflict on the scene. Adam blaming his wife. And isn't that just a pattern for the kinds of relationship that emerge and develop when we co-author our story with the serpent. There is breaking and there is division, there is confusion, there is frustration, there is all manner of relational breakdown. And then if we were to read the remainder of Genesis chapter 3, here's what we would see. We would see all manner of creational consequences being proclaimed over Adam and Eve because they are no longer suitable to be the priests and the royal rulers over this beautiful world to bear the image of God in the way that we were supposed to. And so creation and them break. That's what happens when we co-author with the enemy. Jesus said the enemy comes to... uh, It's really on right now. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus was telling us the truth. But we already knew that because we saw it in Genesis chapter 3. Super clear. What now? It's not looking good. We're outside of the park. Doing our own thing. Making our own way. Co-authoring with the enemy. What now? Praise the Lord for patterns in the kingdom. Verse 21 chapter 3. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Garments of skins. Fig leaves ain't doing it. Garments of skins. Well, some of us are literally wearing that this morning. A little more sufficient to be a covering for shame and for guilt, for insecurity, for the madness that we carry and gunked up hearts that we live with. How do you get skins to cover up a 
person? Well, the answer is, you have to sacrifice an animal to do that. Blood must be shed to cover us sufficiently. Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, we see the first sacrifice offered on the planet. And that sacrifice was a gracious gift where God covers our nakedness. Does a magical and kind work. And with blood, he steps in and he undoes that which we did with the enemy. And as he covers our shame, he invites us into wholeness and healing. Because it's another one of his kindnesses. He doesn't just forgive us. He does. He doesn't just cover our shame and our guilt. He does. But he wants to move us back to the place where our hearts are no longer gunked up with all the stuff that messes them up. Shame and guilt gone. Whole and healing invitation given. And now, because we have been covered and our shame has been covered, now we actually can come back to God. We don't need to hide from him anymore because the things that caused us to run from him are no longer there to cause a division anymore. So it's an invitation back into life-giving relationship with him where he is the vine, we are the branches, and his life begins to pulse in us yet again. And from that place where his life floods in and fills us, now the things that kept us from relationships with others, well, that can be covered over too because from a whole place in a life-giving relationship with God, now we can step back into relationships with other people. And similarly, now, because we have been recreated and redeemed as priests and as royal rulers. Now we can begin stepping into all the things that he has uniquely and magnificently made us to do in the created world that will bring him great glory and will actually bring other people great joy. Two things. Two words Christians throw around all the time. Just want us to see them in context. First word, salvation. Second word, discipleship. First word, salvation. Here's what salvation is. Paraphrase for our intents this morning. Salvation is the gracious rescue of you and me back into a co-authored story with God. And the only way back in is through the shed blood, not of an animal in Genesis chapter 3. That was a type. In the same way that fig leaves were insufficient covering, well, the skins are more adequate. But ultimately, those skins were a picture of the most adequate shed blood sacrifice that would come, and his name is Jesus. And he goes to the cross, and he literally lays his life down. Because that it takes that kind of covering to sufficiently cover us. Right? And he gives us this gracious invitation to just receive. We don't have to do anything to receive it. Just believe. That's it. By faith, trust that he has done this for us. Receive the gift. And then Jesus, right, his broken body, his shed blood, his resurrection out of the tomb, all of that covers our junk. That's salvation. Salvation is a one-time thing that happens when we simply believe. Thank you, Jesus. Second word, discipleship. Discipleship is the process that happens over time whereby we 
begin to say no to the enemy. I don't want to co-author that with you right now. We're done. God, I want to join you. I want to hear your voice. I want to follow you in this straight and narrow road that is the garden of delights, the amusement park. I want to go to the ride with you. I want to go to the funnel cake tree with you. I want to go hang out at the picnic table with a bunch of other people with you. I want to walk with you you in the process of learning how to live life and co-write with him is discipleship salvation's on him pure and pure and simple we just receive discipleship is the co-authored story that we learn to walk out with god this morning the question is who are we writing our story with what are you seeing in your life this morning indications and evidence that god is your co-author or indications and evidence that maybe the serpent is our co-author who are we writing with but maybe the most important question even beyond that is this who do you want to write with because we can make that shift it's a gracious invitation we can shift even now who are we writing our story with? You look back on the Old Testament, you see guys like Moses and David, and women like Esther. Those are good stories, and they're different. But it's where they said, God, I want to live this thing out with you. I want, to, I want to walk with you. I want to write this story with you. And it's a beautiful story, and we can read it. And they didn't do it perfect. There's some chapters where David said, I got this one, God, and it's not a great chapter. There's sometimes where Moses said, ah, God, I think I'm going to try my own thing here. Not great chapters, right? But by and large, they kept coming back. Discipleship kept coming back. God, I need you. Let's do this together. And the sum total of their stories, pretty compelling. On the flip side, we also read stories about people like Judas. And stories of like women like Jezebel. And then guys like Herod. Nasty stories. Not good like broken in every single way that they could be broken, just ugly. Two very different ways to craft a life and to share your story with the world. Who are we going to do ours with? Our invitation is to find our place in the story of God. That's a kind invitation, friends. And it's one we ought not turn down. Band, come on back up. We're going to sing just a little bit more here. And uh, as they're coming up, and as I clean up my mess, um, it's been interesting just in the last week and a half. I, I get to see stories around here. It's one of the fun things about being a pastor. And um, uh, Yeah, I'm not sure how we're going to get the board down. Kemp, can you, Larry, could you help with that? Sorry. Um, one of the funnest things is to see people switch who they're writing their stories with. And just this morning, I uh, had the opportunity to do a wedding at 7.30 just out here under the large trees next to the Women's City Club. And, um, and the, the couple that got married, Jack and Maria, they've been coming here since probably uh, May. And uh, admittedly, their lives were a train wreck. Uh, they were living together uh, life was messy in every way that it could be messy. Home life, uh, difficult for both of them. One significantly more so than the other. But just um, it, not a good story that they were writing and living. 
And one day, uh, Maria was uh, on the porch. This is probably within the last year, year and a half. She's on the porch of, of some unsavory characters, places where she would hang and, and be and participate full on in the things that were going on. And this guy walked up to the house because his cousin lived there. And he happened to be a pastor of a local church. And he saw Maria. And you can tell how people are doing, can't you? You can just see. Countenance is a word we use. She wasn't doing well. And this pastor said, hey, do you mind if I pray with you? Maria said, yeah, I, don't know. I, could, I could use some help. Yeah, pray with me, please. And he prayed with her. And then from there, something shifted in her heart. Didn't know who the guy was, got his name. Um, and from there, she just felt like, I'm drawn to Jesus and I'm supposed to get baptized. But she didn't know anything about that. So she knows this pastor's name. She tracks him down on Facebook, finds his church in Columbus, and then calls and says, hey, I think I'm supposed to get baptized. And then they meet up, and he shares Jesus. She receives him, and they, they do a baptism that's probably very unlike any baptism we've done here, where literally, as they describe it, it was like a, a time of darkness coming out and light flooding in. Um, pain and brokenness, like literally being pulled out, like Paul talks about principalities and powers. We're like, what in the world is that? Well, these things were coming out. And the Spirit of God is coming in. And she gets baptized. And she says, I was so emotionally drained. I don't even remember the baptism. But man, since baptism then, this un- insatiable desire to get connected to a church just erupted inside of her. And so she found us, right? And, um, and so a couple weeks ago, get to meet with this couple. And, um, and one of the things that she knew coming out of her baptism is that her and her um, boyfriend at the time, Jack, they were living together. She said, I know that we, we, can't, we can't live physically the way that we were because we need to start honoring God. Like our stories are shifting. And so what Maria did is she bought a camper and they moved a camper into their backyard and she started living in the camper until they got married, which was this morning. Man, these guys, you're like, you, their story has, it has moved off of the serpent's track and it is firmly on the Jesus track now and it is so fun to watch. And that's the invitation that God gives each and every one of us. And the cool thing is he, in, he, he invites us to be sh- story shifters for other people. No greater privilege on planet Earth than to join someone and be a story shifter. Change tracks. Co-author with a different, different writer. Altogether different story. It's happening all around us. Let's pray now. I'm going to ask the Lord even to make it happen among us more and more. Father in heaven, thanks for your kindness. Thank you that you love to write good stories and you love to write them with us. Father, I pray that over the next month and a half as we continue in this, that you would just compel us by your spirit from a deep place to just be fixed on you and wanting to figure out as you allow us and help us to figure out how to co-write a story with you that looks like Moses and Esther and Ruth and David, but our version of that with you, whatever that is. And for most of us, that will be a quiet and contented life where we are doing good in obscurity. But Father, like that wedding this morning, it was attended by six people, but my sense is the attention of all of heaven was on it because that's where the attention of heaven loves to be in the places where your people are fully submitted to you and fully receiving from you. That's where your kingdom's breaking out and that's where the eyes of heaven are. Father, we want to live those lives. 
whether everybody hears about it or not. So would you posture our hearts to want to write with you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.